Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's May 18th, 2018. You're listening to the best poker cast on the planet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott, your bookie long. Yes, I'm hoping you're going to wade through all this for us because... People who know me and obviously know you, I'm sure, are reaching out and being like, this must be great for you, and, and what does this mean, and, and can I bet on the game tonight? And, and so it's driving me crazy, and I know what it means, and you know what it means, but we might as well go through it and then see how it relates to poker as well. Right, okay, so here's the deal. So uh, by a 6-3 to three vote uh, this week, the U.S. Supreme Court overturned a federal law that prohibited sports wagering in states other than Nevada, and as you mentioned, there's been a lot of confusion since then over what uh, exactly this means and how it might affect poker. And uh, so I'm just going to run down what we know now, uh, but I will caution listeners that this information is changing daily. <laughs> so right. I put this together like a couple days ago, so some of this stuff might even be out of date by now, and even the stuff that's it's current right now could be out of date by tomorrow. So it's a very fluid situation right now. So the best advice I can give you as we read this whole list is um, – Go to a, the major newspaper in your state that you live in and follow their coverage, and they'll, you'll get a better idea of what's going to happen where you live. But Make sure they don't write about fake news. That's true. Yeah, no, no hashtag fake news. No hashtag yeah. fake news. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's start. Uh, so first of all, you can't uh, go meet your bookie in front of the police station and put 10 large in the lightning to win the Stanley Cup. Uh, I wouldn't advise that any other way they've been playing this series. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, I think that's the first question is people think that, oh, as soon as the Supreme Court said this, that you can just sports bet anywhere. Ah, um, you got to wait for your state to pass its own legislation allowing it. So depending on where you live, that's either already happened, that's in the works, or it hasn't even been discussed. So, um, again, going back to following uh, the news in your state to get a best idea of what's what's going on there. Uh, start, start with, of course, Nevada, which already has sports betting, so nothing really changes there other than, I will say, at any time a uh, new competition um, enters the market, that's uh, good for consumers. So, you know, if you are living in Nevada or crossing the border to make bets in Nevada, um, you know, if like California or these other states come online with that, um, it might be something small better for you. And, and I don't have this in the list, but I'll mention it from the top. Sports betting does not make a lot of money for the casino. It's very similar to poker. So uh, there's not like a flood of new money coming in. Um, some casinos are going to be very excited to have this amenity. Others are going to look at it and go, eh, don't need it. Um, but uh, it's not a game changer financially uh, for casinos other than maybe in volume, but in the short term. I, I, I don't like want to extend the show any longer because you're going to be talking for a long time here. But can you explain that to people? Can you explain why? 
Like, are they if they're taking the bets? Where is that money going to? Is it going to people who set the line? Is it what? what why doesn't it no, make them a lot of money? Still, yeah, they take a, a a commission out of every bet, and the losers pay for it. If you win, you don't pay any fees, but the losers pay pay their fees. So, um, so it's a small percentage. It's not dramatic. And then, of course, depending on the how the state markets come down, uh, they're going to want their cut of it as well too. So that cuts into it a little bit. So a lot of in a lot of ways it's similar to poker that it's an amenity. It's it's something that if if you were a casino resort and we'll talk about this a little bit more that it may not always be in casinos. Um you'll see this more as an amenity of like, you know, hey, you want to be able to attract people because you can say you have a poker room here for poker players and you have a sports betting lounge for the sports bettors. Yeah. Okay. Um, but, you know, it, again, nothing's ever going to trump a slot machine. <laughs> a slot machine is always going to make way more money than any of this other stuff. So right. uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, as we go through this as well, too. So um, just want to be clear, it's not this, like, big gold rush. But, right, okay. Again, it's a new product for people, so yeah, there is some money involved. So, you know, there is money involved, but not necessarily a game changer. Um, all right, so moving on, New Jersey, Mississippi, Delaware, and West Virginia have already passed bills allowing for sports betting if the court – ruled this way so they they were looking ahead and they already have uh uh laws on the books uh new jersey expects to begin wagering on may 28th so that's how quickly this is going to happen 11 days from when we're recording right now it's pretty crazy uh mississippi has said it should be up and running in less than 45 days um also pennsylvania and connecticut have passed bills that should make sports wagering a possibility sooner rather than later so if you're in any of those states you're going to be able to wager possibly before the football season, um, if not soon after that. So those are good states to be in if you are interested in this. Uh, California, New York, Illinois, and Michigan are among the states that have bills working their way through their legislatures and, very important, still have legislatures in session right now. So it's possible but they could be among the next to approve it. Uh, I will caution, though, a spokesman for the New York's, uh, New York's government said it's unlikely there's enough time to research and add sports wagering to the current bill there, so that might have to wait to the next session there. So, again, if you're not a political nerd, you don't understand this, but, um, you know, Congress is always in session other than a couple breaks. Um, some states have year-round legislatures, but most have part-time uh, or sessions the last two to four months. And so if you're not in session, you can't pass any bills. Right. So, um and then, uh, so several other states have introduced sports wagering bills previously or plan to in their next legislative session, uh, but are not in session right now. Um, some might call for a special session, uh, especially here in Florida, where a new gambling bill died on the last day of the most recent session. And we have a gambling amendment uh, on the November ballot. And uh, so that's going to be really interesting for us here in Florida. Um, so what happened this year is they've been trying to negotiate a new compact with the Seminole Tribe. Uh, it's a lot of moving parts in there because you got a paramutual uh, industry here that's looking to survive. And, and eventually they couldn't come to an agreement. They are already in advance of this talking about coming back to a special session to try to finish that. Uh, now with this out there, that's one more impetus to get people there. But the flip side is is that they approved putting on the November ballot a, um, um, I don't know what you call it, a, a, whatever, a, a vote to say that going forward uh all gambling changes need to be passed by all voters rather than the legislature oh, so okay. yeah that happens to pass in november it's gonna be very difficult to move, do anything with gambling in florida so obviously if you're interested in offering sports wagering there's a big urgency right now to get the session uh special session back up and get it passed before we get to that in november so um 
Moving on, Utah Senator Orrin Hatch said the federal government needs to move quickly to regulate sports betting so there's not a patchwork of different state regulations. Uh, but the chances of that kind of legislation, especially in a midterm election year, seem very remote. Uh, but it does pose the possibility of online poker being treated the same way. So we'll talk a little bit here about what all this means for poker. But, you know, if if there is ever a push on the federal level, I would think poker would kind of get swept up into it. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm going to say if I'm the average congressman or U.S. senator and I want to take back control of this stuff from the states, I might as well take back this control from all gambling, right? So. Right. But, again, it doesn't sound very likely that any of that's going to happen. Um, every state is free to offer sports wagering how they wish. So it could be live, online, or both. And the companies chosen to offer it could be limited to existing gambling companies or open to others, including sports teams or daily fantasy sports operators. So, um, you know, the you would normally think that your casinos would be the ones that are offering this, but states could do whatever they want. So there has been some chatter about... Being able to, would you go to the NBA arena <laughs> in your city, and there's a sports betting window there, um, and obviously uh, folks like DraftKings and FanDuel uh, would love to be in this market. So it's going to be really interesting to me, I think, and interesting to most people, to see how each state decides to let people in, and then whether you need to, you can do it online, which seems most likely now, in addition to live, or whether they're going to restrict it to live. And I think. Um, our, our friends up in New Jersey can tell us, but I believe the online poker up there obviously is online, but you have to go in person and get an account, I believe. So mm. that might be a way for this as well, too. Um, you know, all kinds of constituents in these. Yeah. Boy. <laughs> I didn't even know what you were trying to say there. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of people involved in all this, and they all have a different way of doing it. How's that? All right. It's all going to come down to how your lawmakers in your state. Uh, decide to do it so all right so all that being said let's go on to poker and what this means to poker i mean it's sports wagering so you wouldn't think it'd have a big effect and it may may not so um some poker directors have told us and we talked about this on a previous show that sports wagering will be part of their portfolio uh so that means there could be some cross promotion between uh, their sports wagering operations and poker which could in some way boost poker um on the flip side, though, here's another interesting thing. Older casinos that have no room uh, to add a sports betting lounge or window will need to figure out how big of a sports betting presence they want and what uh, to take out to make that happen. Um, so that could just as easily be a poker room as it could be an underperforming restaurant. So there is some risk to us in the poker world that they may decide, hey, this is the new fun thing to do is offer sports wagering. The only place we can do it is in the poker room, and sorry. Yeah. Poker. So hopefully that doesn't happen, but obviously that's a possibility. Or it could shrink poker rooms. Like they could find a could. bigger space to move those two things into that one space and then give the other space to the other thing. And so, yeah, there, there is that possibility. <clears throat> Hope not, but, you know, it is a possibility. Yeah. So. Uh, so perhaps the best thing for poker is the possibility that dozens or so states that are expected to look into offering sports betting soon may just pass an overall online gambling bill, uh, like Nevada and New Jersey have which could include online poker. Again, this goes back to what I was talking about, Senator Hatch, um, that, you know, if, if you're going to get into talking about whether we should regulate sports betting or not, I, I would imagine some states are just going to look at it. Why are we just talking about sports betting when we just talk about all gambling, particularly because the revenue um, potential for the other stuff over sports betting. So um, it's, it's possible that uh, what I've heard is up to 35 states 
are expected to have sports betting within a couple of years. So that's a lot. Yeah. There's only about five or six that are ready to go right now. So that means about more than 20 that have a chance of really thinking this through and doing something much on a bigger scale. And it doesn't preclude the other ones from going back and adding stuff. But um, so that would be, uh, I think, the best thing for poker at that point. If we can get 20 states to roll online poker into this and then share that player, uh, player liquidity, um, now we're getting there. Now we're halfway to where we used to be. Um, well, almost halfway <laughs> to where we used to be before Black Friday, right? Yeah. Um, and then maybe that helps spread. You know, again, you know, you need to be able to sell these states on the viability. You know, they all these uh, legislatures and their committees do all these analyses going forward, and their analysis is limited to the information they have. So well, again, if you're doing, if you're in Rhode Island, let's just pick a random small state right and you are trying to evaluate the tax benefit of online poker in that state it's going to look pretty bleak right because you only have seven people that live in the state (laughs) and so but if now going back through three years later you're like all right if we if we add online poker and then we are part of a 25 state pool of players that changes things dramatically right? right so so that's where i'm kind of hoping for uh the benefit for poker we'll also see how it happens in casinos um but uh, obviously a potential for, for goodness for us, um, but it's going to take a while for all this to sort itself out. I, and I, I don't want to be the flying the ointment here, uh, but earlier this week, Nolan Dalla, uh, a lot of you probably know who he is. We brought him on the show before. He used to be the media guy for the World Series, and um, he's a big-time gambler columnist and all that. And he, he said that um, the good news for online gambling and online poker is that now that this was basically declared unconstitutional it's going to be next to impossible for the federal government to impose similar prohibitions against casino games uh, and poker played online so I'll quote him verbatim here he says this should finally once and for all kill various bills proposed in Congress which might have outlawed online poker and gambling games the bad news don't expect online poker or gambling games to get any boost in traffic however in fact, interest in and traffic could decline since gambling dollars will increasingly find their way into casino sports books instead of online poker accounts. There's only so many gambling dollars in the market available, and if New Jersey and other states open up their betting windows, some percentage of the money used to buy sports tickets will come from other gambling ventures, probably online poker and casino games. That's how Very it works. Yeah, I, yeah. Mean, I mean, again, there's a lot of people who aren't gambling right now and they're spending that money on other things it doesn't mean you know what i mean so it doesn't mean they're not going to find their money into poker like there are people like you i think we've talked about your examples perfect for this instead of playing that five dollar sit and go or whatever it is you want to do or the 25 dollar tournament on a friday you're going to watch the clearwater threshers and now it's one of the state you know staples of your livelihood i mean or you know whatever your life that's what you do all the time you go see these so you've changed what you do with your money people are probably doing that too doesn't necessarily mean that i'm going to gamble and so i'm going to gamble on a game rather than play poker there could be people out there who want to play poker but they can't so it, I, I don't know if his angle was that the people who already have online poker are going to now move away from it or is he is he foreseeing even if online poker comes nationally or through 35 states there's not going to be enough people to do that i, I don't know if that's true or not but it, it it could yeah, be a negative. It's really tough to say. I mean, yeah. it depends on, you know, again, I mean, one of the things we've always talked about here in Florida is when we finally took all the chains off of live poker here, right? right. We were able to play real, no limit. Um, 
the reason that games were so juicy at the beginning was that if you enjoyed gambling of any kind um, outside of the couple Indian casinos we had here, your options were betting on horses and dogs or playing poker. Yeah, and high <laughs> so if you're a blackjack player uh, facing those things, you're like, all right, I'll try this poker. It's the closest thing to what I like. Uh, what I like. And obviously those players weren't very good at it because they didn't know it. That's why the games were juicy. But as soon as you we added um, these player bank games into the paramutuals, those players now left poker to go play those games because it's more like what they wanted to. So, you know, if you're a you're really into sports wagering and for whatever reason you you haven't found a bookie or some other <laughs> online site already to to do that on, and now it's more prevalent um, and completely legal in your state, you may now just go to the sports lounge and sit there and and wager all day on baseball games instead of sitting at the poker room. Yeah. Or the flip side is is now because it's legal, I mean, you have people like me where I wouldn't mind putting a couple bucks down on a game every once in a while, but right now it's not so urgent in my life that I have to find a bookie to do it, right? Right. So now I'm going to you know maybe go to the casino uh, more frequently to uh, place those bets, and then once I'm there, um, I might decide, hey – Poker. There's a poker room right here. I'm gonna sit down and play. Um, so it, could, it cuts both ways. But um, I, I think I would skew more toward what Nolan is saying is that there's you know the more opportunities you have to gamble, uh, the more poker has to step up and say, hey, this is why you need to be with us, right? Right. Um, so to that extent, that's why I like to see that the um, the sports wagering is is coming under the portfolio of poker managers now because the possibility could be in the same room. Um, if it's in the same room now, it's really great for poker because you go and place your bet and instead of just sitting on the the chair watching the game, now you can sit down at the poker table and play while you're watching the game, right? So it brings more players in and keeps them there longer, which is good for us. So it just all depends on how it's all set up and in your different venues. So. It'll be eerily uh, similar to the way it is in Florida now where you sat down and you watched the horses and the dogs while you're in the poker room. You know, it's very similar to that. If they can come up and you and I both know that every time we go to Vegas, it's like, hey, I don't know where the poker room is exactly when we first were going out there trying to find all the poker rooms, but we looked for the sports book and it was right next to it almost all the time. So they seem to go hand in hand. So that would be really good if they built it that way and planned it that way for us. Right, and that's so. Here's the the other rub, and, and and we can move on after this. But the other rub is that you know, obviously, we're in a online world now, right? So, right. I think most sports betters are going to be able to wager on their phones, their laptops, and not have to go anywhere to do it, right? Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, unless there's also an online poker component to that, what's the benefit to poker at that point? Then you know, and there's no reason to for me to walk to the drive to the casino to make my bets. I can just sit at home on the couch and bet from my phone. I'm I'm not going to see the poker room there. I'm never going to see the and be, you know, tempted to go play poker now, um, unless it's also on my phone. Yeah. So, a lot, a lot, of, a lot of a lot of stuff's going to happen here pretty soon, and it's really interesting. And hopefully, a lot of it works out for us, but uh, potential for some of it not to. All right, very good. All right, well, this completely overshadowed our big news of the week. <laughs> and that is that we are announcing our 2019 Antia Poker Cruise schedule. Woo! 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 We got to get the horn from, like, Royal Caribbean. Yeah. You know. Or if I had the bell. I don't have the... Where's the bell? Oh, the bell. You, got, you still got the bell? 
Uh, I got the bell somewhere. Where is it? Uh, I don't know where but <laughs> Oh, you failed me. Let's pretend I had the bell. Epic fail. <laughs> ah, bummer. All right. Sorry. I'll bring the bell back at some point. <laughs> uh, but anyhow, I'm, I'm very excited about this schedule. Um, first of all, we, it's going to include our longest cruise yet, a 16-night Panama Canal crossing. Um, it's also going to be our return to the Bahamas after a couple years off. Um, another of our popular Tampa sailings is on the schedule, and our first Southern Caribbean itinerary. And uh, we had two ships that we've never sailed before that are on this, and I'm um, getting the website up now, and I'm very excited about the one to the Bahamas. It's a much better ship than we've ever taken to the Bahamas. So, yeah. um, so a lot of interesting stuff on this one. I'm very excited. Uh, the Panama Canal was, was one that people keep asking about i mean obviously you're, you're talking 16 nights and it's expensive so it's not going to be um wall-to-wall poker players on that one but hopefully it's interesting enough to get people on um but uh i'll run down where we are now um our next one coming up which is we had already announced last year that will be october 29th 2018 that's the five night cruise from tampa to key west and cosimo which will be over halloween so uh you know hey maybe we'll do some costume tournaments i think that might be fun right i can only imagine what one you're gonna bring <laughs> Let's see. Will it, will it be the watermelon? <laughs> it, I mean, you got what? Fifteen costumes now? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it might, it might be the first cruise that I actually bring a suitcase on. I got to bring costumes, but but that should be fun over Halloween. So uh, hopefully, folks can uh, join us for that one. And then uh, the new ones that we're announcing: February twenty fifth, two thousand nineteen. That's the sixteen night one way cruise from Miami to San Diego crossing through the panama canal uh with port stops in five countries that's pretty cool yeah. uh, um and an overnight visit to cabo san lucas in mexico i know this is gonna be the time i see sammy hagar down there they've never <laughs> been there on the other cruises we've gone but overnight i'm gonna find him somewhere i promise he'll be eating rice and beans and drinking tequila his own tequila of course uh but if you've never been to cabo before it's it's really cool i've only been there during the day and it's one of, it's one of those few well i shouldn't say the few stops but it's the stop that when you're getting on the, the tender to get back onto the ship and you're watching the party just get started because the ship has to leave at five o'clock and you're like this would be a fantastic place to be have a night port stop so to have an overnight port stop is really awesome so. yeah and we haven't had very many opportunities to do that with our sailings because they're all pretty much get back on board and get going this, this is yeah. one of the very few times it may even be the first time we've had an overnight isn't it or no um, no well Bermuda was overnight but uh, oh that's right we did in New York that's right okay so yeah so very few times we've been able to do this though so that's kind of cool yeah. too so that's a neat little extra um, perk to what's already a phenomenal the awesome crew so uh, all right, and then April 20th, 2019, it will be our, our gold standard, our five-night Tampa cruise. This one will go to Grand Cayman and Cozumel, so we trade Key West for a Grand Cayman, mix it up a little bit. And, uh, of course, that's another variation of our always popular five-night Tampa sailings. They usually do pretty well, so yeah. we'll see you then. And it also leaves on April 20th, so I'll just leave that out there for the hothead. <laughs> Don't bring uh, any on. Don't bring any on. <laughs> no, because you're not going to make it on. But. That's right. <laughs> Uh, and definitely be on the ship before 420. <laughs> It'll be before. That's right. You've you got to be there at the uh, the muster drill before then. That's right. All right, and then uh, August 5th, 2019, will be our return to the four-night Bahama cruises, but on a bigger, better ship than we've ever used to go to the Bahamas, the Mariner of the Seas. And uh, depending on when the kiddos go back to school, it's a chance for a summer sailing less than an hour from Disney World. You know, it's always another popular request for us to do summer sailings. They're very hard to pull off. 
because they're very expensive. Um, but uh, if you get towards the end of it, they get a little cheaper and, and doable. So that's what we're doing with this one, leaving on August 5th. And a much nicer ship than we've ever taken. And then um, it's a Monday through Friday sailing. So, you know, if you want to attack on a couple days in Disney World, uh, you got two different weekends to do it or two, two different weekends or do it both weekends. Yeah, <laughs> yeah get that annual pass and do it twice. Yeah. And then uh, finally, October 26, 2019, uh, just by chance, I scheduled another Halloween cruise. I don't know why that was, but... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's our first sailing to the Southern Caribbean, including St. Thomas and St. Martin, uh, about two other stops as well. It's an eight-night weekend-to-weekend sailing out of Fort Lauderdale on another new ship for Antioch, the very large adventure of the seas. And it's always important because, you know, we, when you get in those eight-night eight or nine-night ones, you worry about having to take extra days off of work. But this is actually a weekend-to-weekend. At least on a Saturday, it gets back on a Sunday. So... Uh, depending on where you live, you should be able to take uh, just five days off work to join us for eight nights on a cruise. And that one's a really good price, I believe. Off the top of my head, that's right, like six thirty-five for eight nights. So, I mean, normally the, the going rate is 100 bucks a night, so you're getting a really good deal on that one. Um, and even though it was our first actual sailing to the Southern Caribbean, we, we've hit some of these port stops on some of our exotics before. And if you haven't been to St. Martin, that's fantastic because you've probably seen this on some travel shows, but the airport is there's a beach bar right by the airport. Yeah. And the planes, these big, huge seven twenty seven, seven forty sevens fly in over the beach and just blow people all over the place. It's hilarious to watch. Yeah. I've seen then, that a lot. Very short runway and then when they take off it's even crazier because they have to get up in the air very quickly. Um it uh, you know, if you're in aviation uh, a buff, it's a perfect place to go. But if not, it's just really kind of surreal to be able to sit there and have a beer and just watch these huge planes like flying right over. <laughs> so, yeah, that's just one of the stops on the cruise as well, too. So very excited about all these. Um, like I said, we will. Uh, I will get all this information up on antiupcruises.com by the end of today. So unless you're listening almost live, that stuff will be up by the time you check. I have to say, this is probably the most balanced schedule we probably have ever had. I mean, I. There's a month in between the February and April one. There's a month between the August and October one. But we pretty much hit every season. We pretty much go off of every, you know, we go out of Miami to go to this huge long one. We go out of Tampa to go to uh, the Grand Cayman and Cozumel. Then we go to the other side of Florida and go to the Bahamas. And then we go down to South Florida and go to the Southern Caribbean. I mean, we, we really balance that whole area. And we even get to the West Coast you know, at the end of the 16 nighter of the United States too. So, you know, uh, Colombia, right? We're hitting, we're hitting Brazil, uh, yeah. Colombia and Guatemala. Guatemala. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. Some of the stops we're having on that big one. So, just really a well balanced, complete schedule. It feels like for the, you know, norm, normally we have a pretty decent schedule too, but this one just seems like wow, it's really balanced. So, looking forward to seeing uh, what comes of this. Um, but uh, that 16 night one, that should be pretty wild. And I believe this is the first time that we haven't repeated a port stop all year. I mean, obviously, if you look at the October and the April cruises, they're both going to Cozumel. But in terms of 2019, I don't think any of the port stops are duplicated. So yeah, no, no. You can, so if you say all four of them, you're going to see a lot of really cool port stops. Yeah, and yeah. Repeat. So. All right, any updates? Atlantis Casino Resort Spa in Reno, Nevada will host an Antioch Poker Tour Series August 16th to the 26th. More details to come, but the winner of the main event will appear on the cover of Antioch Magazine and get a seat in the 2019 Antioch World Championship main event. 
More information can be found at antiupmagazine.com slash Atlantis. Join the Antiup Fans Group Facebook page and post within the group to get feedback on hands, ask call the floor questions, or just discuss anything poker. Go to Facebook and search for Antiup Fans. Each week we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast at antiupmagazine.com, and if they haven't learned something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. This week's prize is a setup of J-Design playing cards, the official playing cards of Antiup Poker Cruises, available at classicplayingcards.com. comes from Don H. It's probably Don Ho. <laughs> he says, uh, I've heard you guys talk on more uh, than one occasion about slow playing hands when you hit monsters on the flop. I totally get the concept of giving other players a chance to catch up so that they eventually will put more chips in the pot. But isn't there a flip side to this approach? I've never heard anybody talk about the scenario where an opponent may have a hand with a lot of potential, so he might be willing to call a bet or two on the early streets. In other words, if you don't bet and wait to let him catch up, but he never does, there's no chance of getting any chips out of him. But if you can make a smallish size bet, maybe you can milk a little out of him before he gives up. Does that make sense? I guess the answer is that, like most things in poker, it's nuanced. And if you have to take into account ranges, player types, and pot sizes, etc., just like every other hand. So if that's the case, why does it seem like everybody just so routinely advises a check and let them catch up? All right, well, this this email took me a little off guard, actually, because uh, I... I'm sure maybe back in the early days of Annie Up, we might have advocated that, but I know personally I never advocate uh, letting people catch up with these, uh, with the exception of, like, when you flop quads. Quads is always a different thing because now you've essentially crippled the deck and it's really hard to get people to stick with you and you need to give them a chance to catch up there. But but other than that, if I flop uh, flush or straight, uh, I'm not slow playing. I'm betting and hoping to get money out and, and disguise my hand and... You know, because people are you human nature would think that you're not going to bet your flush right away or bet your straight right away, so you get some you know misdirection out of that. Um, but it's possible that we used to talk about. I mean, we've been doing the show for 13 years, going on 27 years now. So <laughs> feels like it. We've changed a lot too, so maybe it was a possibility that we did that before. Um, I, I don't know whether everybody routinely advises to check and let them catch up. Um, I'm sure certainly there are some people that suggest that, but I think just as many or more people would tell you to uh, bet those hands for the precisely the reasons that Don mentions. You know, you know, if they don't ever catch up, then you're never going to get anything out of them. So the balance you need to make is is again knowing your players, and that's where the nuance comes in. If you know a bet. On the on a flop that looks scary is going to chase everybody out of the pot, and you get nothing out of it. You don't want to do that. Um, but if those players are, are you think are predisposed to either not believing you or whatever, they and they're going to call those bets. Yes, those bets rack up. And um, at that point, if my my monster is bigger than the monster they catch up to, that's even the best case scenario, right? So now we got money on every street and then on the river they get excited and shove on you and they're like sorry here's my massive hand (laughs) so um yeah i i I guess if i ever have in the past advocated checking monsters i I don't anymore other than quads uh yeah i think it all gets back to definitions and nuances like you said i think when you define a monster hand you have to define it like scott did where it's essentially quads or aces full or something like that or you know where even if it's a disguised hand, like if you somehow were getting, you know, a little 
you know, squirrely and decided to raise with deuce four, and it came, you know, ace tray five, you might consider checking, you know, or the guy re-raised and you call his raise, you might consider checking so that he would bet his ace or maybe it comes lower cars and then an ace could come on the turn to help one street to get make sure he catches up so he'll call two streets of bets. Whereas if it comes all rags and you bet, he's going to fold, you know, to your, like, to him. In other words, if you flop top set of eight deuce tray and it's all rainbow, you know, if you're betting out and this guy had ace king or, you know, jack ten, he's going nowhere. But if it if it now then turns to the turn is a jack because you checked and he checked and he caught up to you with top pair, now it's like, hey, now you've got him for two streets. If you bet out with top set and there's no chance of him catching you on the turn, you know, there there are, there are reasons to do it um, and there are reasons not to do it. Like, in other words, when he said, you know, you want to bet out with small bets and stuff, any bet would make somebody fold to a, a what looks to be an all-rag flop and they have nothing. So if it's a chance of that happening, then you don't know what's going to happen when you bet. And if that does happen, you've you've missed an opportunity to let him make a pair that, hey, I can call now if I made a pair. The other way around is that if you have a, a hand that, yeah, you flop monster, but it could be the turn because that monster isn't as big as you're defining it. The turn could now make it so that you're beaten then you want to get your bets in now while you can because you might actually want that hand to fold because you don't know what's coming on that turn. You know, it just depends on what you mean by a monster and what what these players are like. If these are the type of players that you know will bluff that into you, then you check and let them bluff into you and then maybe even catch up and catch a pair that they feel confident about. So it just it really does depend, like you said. I think it really is nuanced. Um, I, I think we have in the past talked about letting them catch up because it's such a big hand. And these people, if these people have a tendency to fold to any kind of pressure, then you're going to want to let them make something. You know, like you said, if you if you flop quads and you bet out, that's just that's unless you know this person has aces and it comes ace five five and you have fives in your hand. You know, that's really the only scenario where I'm betting into somebody, um, unless I know that player so well that I know that they would raise me when I bet them, and it's very hard to know someone's going to do that. So. It just it means your definition of monster and your definition of, of what these players, what their, their abilities are, I think. I, I don't know. To me, to me, uh, I, there are instances where I would let them catch up. So uh, I don't know if I wrote Don or not. I, I can't remember. I don't think I did. I think I said, oh, Scott will probably talk about this in the show, so I saved my answer for it. But um, it is nuanced. It, it, it really just depends on the situation you're in and the way it's been going that night and the way that person bets. And I would rather let him catch up to get a bigger bet out of him than try to milk smallish bets out of someone who will may likely just fold at any money put in the pot because the, if you if you've hit a real monster you've crippled a deck there's nothing that they could have that could have, that could fight back with really unless it's something like that ace is full and you have the quads end of it you know so it's difficult it's, it's really it really is from a a hand-to-hand situation. Yeah, so. pairs on the board are always scary for everyone involved. Um, the difference is is the size of that pair. I mean, I mean, think about it, if you have a pair, if you got pocket queens, and the board comes seven five five, um, you're not you're, you're much less scared of those pair area, right? Because you've got two pair now, and it it helps trump anything else. Um, any like 
eight through jack that comes later on that gives two pair but if there's a pair of aces or kings or queens on the board um that's really dangerous for people because they just don't they they in one they assume those are the kind of cards people play so somebody out there has to have trips right now at least or a good chance they have so now if you're betting out on that that's where people start to drop but yeah uh, but any kind of paired board gets people a little bit spooked as well, too. So, I mean, that's just the nature of of having flopping a boat or flopping quads. You get excited because it's very hard for somebody to catch up and beat you, but at the same time, it's very hard to get money out of them. So. Yeah, you want to get value for your hands because the last thing he said was, if that's the case, why does it seem like everyone or everybody so routinely advises to check and let them catch up? Well, in the, in the sense that you want to get value out of flopping quads. You want to get value out of flopping aces full. You want to get value out of these, these, you know, you flop Broadway, you know, you want to make sure, or something like that, you want to make sure that these people are going to make two pair or something that they can afford to call you, because the minute you you bet quads, basically they're folding. So you want to hope they at least made, oh, well, he didn't bet the flop, maybe now my two pair are good, you know, or something. Or my flush, that's the scenario. Or or flush, yeah, exactly. If you get two diamonds and a pair of fives on the board, and you're sitting with pocket fives in your hand, you want that diamond to get there and have somebody feel very confident about their hand yeah or go diamond diamond so they got a four card yeah and a rainbow flop with three cards that have aren't connected at all so there's no straights or flush possibilities coming and and you're sitting with top set you know yeah i i agree i mean that's something that you it's all situational it really is but generally you don't want to bet into somebody when you have a true monster hand you want to at least, at least wait a little bit to get them to make something. Find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been? Email us at podcast at com. We'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo director of poker, Elliot Schechter, tell you how he would have ruled. This week's prize is a 30-minute telephone lesson and workbook from Thomas Gallagher Casino Seminars, specializing in poker odds and math at poker911.net. Now, before we get to this week's call of four, this is this is interesting because I didn't know about this. Uh, WPT Executive Tour Director Matt Savage, who is a weekly listener now, said he disagreed with the decision on last week's show where the big blind grabbed his big blind, moved it back into his stack, and then put it back before folding. Matt said because players need to understand that they can't touch chips that are in the pot, at the very least he would have compelled this player to call the bet and likely would have made him raise. Yeah, so I got a text from Matt a couple days ago, and uh, I, I don't know if he's routinely going to challenge <laughs> Elliot here, but yeah, he loves to discuss, as people know. I mean, he's very prolific on Twitter and talking to folks about um, these kind of questions. So he was interested by that, and, and this kind of gets back to what the um, uh, the listener that emailed us kind of said. He's like, you know, it just doesn't seem right that a guy can touch these chips and manipulate them and then just fold. And... Uh, so I can see both ways. We talked about uh, how Elliot ruled last week that, you know, in the end, the guy's not doing anything, he ended up folding, uh, but he should be admonished for touching his chips. Whereas, you know, Matt takes a little different approach that uh, this is a reminder. And we talked about this on the show last week that, you know, you're not supposed to be touching chips that are in the pot. Just because it's a big blind, it's still in the pot. It's in front of you, but it's in the pot. So um, now you're going around touching chips and getting confusing. So this is kind of his way of. Um, eliminating that problem. Right. right. So right. now, if you're touching those chips, now hey, you can't decide to fold now. Now you are you're playing this hand. You're you're calling that raise. 
or you're going to raise yourself, and hopefully that reminds you going forward to not touch the stupid chips. <laughs> oh. Oh, anyhow, I thought it was interesting. So. Yeah, okay. All right, so it comes from Brian Mitchell. He says, in regards to a four-card flop where the dealer cannot disseminate which cards should be the correct flop, I have seen in some blogs recently that TDA and World Series of Poker have instituted a rule that the dealer randomly mixes the four cards and the floor picks a random card for the burn. I have used the reshuffle and reflop. I have seen comments on both sides of the fence. Elliot says the TDA procedure for correcting a four-card flop is the right one rather than the reshuffle and reflop. When a four-card flop comes down onto the table, the action from the pre-flop betting round is complete, and no person would be acting with undue information. This is why a premature flop is corrected by a reshuffle and reflop. In, other case, in the other case, the top four cards of the stub inadvertently came off, and when these four cards are shuffled, the exposed card is out of play, and all players will be acting post-flop on this information. Card destiny is not the reason to keep this procedure in place. The reasons are usefulness and consistency. If we do this the same way each time without exception, it is fair every time. If we know that the four cards represent the top four cards of the stub, why wouldn't we uh, go to great lengths to make sure that we are using three of the four cards to the flop? Finally, every time we remove the stuff from the dealer's hand and reshuffle, we're giving ourselves a chance to screw things up even more, whether it's exposing more cards, accidentally shuffling, all or part of the muck into the stub, etc. Here are the guidelines for the two procedures. When a four-card flop is dealt, always use the TDA procedure. When a flop is dealt prematurely, always reshuffle the entire stub and deal out a new flop. Okay. I got nothing to say. You know. Yeah, I can I, I can see why people get confused with that, but uh, I think the other thing too is it not only is it inter, um, gives us a chance to make another mistake, one it slows down the game as well too, right? You know, yeah. so I don't believe in card destiny any more than Elliot does, um, but yeah, the, you've got four cards, three of them were supposed to be the flop, one was supposed to be the burn. It doesn't really matter which three end up where on that. So you know, if you're going to reshuffle and all that, now you're just taking time away from the game so it's still all random no one's seen those cards so you know i, I it, it's tough to get some players past the card destiny but uh to me that's just it, it it's an efficient rule okay even it's not even explained there but uh we have a new o'malley's move with a twist here we go Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's Move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week we're doing the old switcheroo. We'll be playing against O'Malley as a mid-30s gentleman who plays a tight, aggressive style. It's a 2-5 no-limit hold'em cash game, and we sit with around 400. O'Malley has around 600. The blinds post, and O'Malley, under the gun, makes it $25 to go, his standard raise. It's folded around to us in the cutoff with the Ace of Clubs, King of Hearts. We call the $25. Perhaps a raise would have been more beneficial. We're heads up going to the flop with about $50 in the pot after the rake. The flop is the Ace of Spades, Jack of Hearts, Four of Diamonds. This is a great flop for our hand and O'Malley leads out for $35. We call. Perhaps a raise is in order here. There's around 120 in the pot, and the turn is the deuce of diamonds. This time, O'Malley leads out for $90. We've only invested $60 of our $400 stack. Calling this bet would put about $300 in the middle and reduce us down to $250. After a short think, we elect to call. 
With the pot at around 300, the river is the seven of diamonds. O'Malley asks how much we have while we quietly move our hands out of the way of our stack. He takes a visual inventory and then shoves. So, based on what you know about me, er, O'Malley, what's the move? It's time for the advancedpokertraining.com end of the week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antiupmagazine.com. If you haven't won something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. Uh, this week's hand comes from Matt Hayward, and uh, he says, hope all is well. It is. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> uh, he says, like, uh, it's been a while, uh, a while since I emailed you guys, went off poker for a while with other commitments and needed a break, playing very rarely, but I've been getting back in the game and your show a bit the last three months. Just recently, I was in New Zealand's most populous city of Auckland, on holiday from Australia, I had racked, uh, rocked up at a local casino looking to play some poker, having been to the Hobbiton movie set where they shot the scenes from Lord of the Rings when the Hobbit trilogy. Did you just oh, say Hobbiton? Uh, yeah. Oh, man. Yes. <laughs> just just keep going. It's been a while since I've read Ken's book. Sorry. Just keep going. Oh! Uh, he says, I can highly recommend New Zealand and whatever it is you want me to say uh, for those out there who get into the two <laughs> movie series. I've been at the table for around two hours during this particular evening and doubled my money by this stage. Uh, for the following hand, please let me state very, very clear that I was actually positioned under the gun plus one and had folded garbage. So to make the hand more interesting, I'm going to assume uh, the play of position, uh, the middle position two player. All right. All right. So no switcheroo, but he's just playing somebody else's hand for him. All right. All right, uh, it's one three no limit hold'em. Uh, we have three hundred and seventy dollars. Uh, players can buy in for two hundred. The table has a couple people who like to raise. With while some are happy to be a bit passive and to see a flop, while others are happy to play it tight, uh, which he says is fairly usual for a low limit game. Gets folded to the middle position. One player who raises to fifteen. He can be aggressive and loves to play play his hands more than not. We act next and see the eight of hearts, eight of clubs. To paraphrase Dan Negreanu, it's just eights, so I'll call. <laughs> I don't okay, think I'm going to raise. And we have three seventies, so this is a perfect set mining possibility, right? Yeah, I so. think so. Just call and hope we get a set. All right. Uh, Eric says the way I see pocket eights in this situation is that they're good here for set mining, but not something you want to get into a big pot pre-flop. As we have position on the raiser, a call seems the best option. A re-raise could isolate, but since we still have a few of the act. We could easily find ourselves in trouble. I call as the guy next to me, and it folds around the big blind. He has $272 uh, and raises the 65 total. Says this razor has not been at the table long, and we have very limited information. He seems tight, but hasn't been at the table long enough for us to really know. Gets folded around the middle position. One player who calls. Uh, both of these players have us covered. And uh, the pot is 161 There's one more to act, and I have $15 in the pot. And it's up to us now to. Well, we considered we, we for a moment we actually considered re-raising, uh, and if we were going to re-raise, we probably would have made it around fifty something or so anyway. So I don't see any reason now to not call this, and try to make a big pot now. You know, and we if we if we somehow flop a set of eights and some guy's got an over, you're gonna you're gonna double through this person. And the guy that one guy raises, you call, and then there's another caller, and then a re-raiser. Clearly, that one of these guys has to. It seems to you, it seems to you that someone would have a decent hand here. Um, so I'm gonna call, 
and hope to flop a set. And if not, then it's one of those things where, hey, I, I was up to 370, so I'm up at least 170. I lost 60 on this, so I'm still up 100. And it was a, you took a, a calculated risk to try to double through somebody with a, a hand that they may not put you on, or even doesn't matter if they put you on because they're probably going to have an over. Um, so I'm going to call here because I probably would have raised this anyway if I was going to re-raise, and we thought about it. So I'm going to call. All right, I'm folding. So we had, uh, we got a good good fight going on here. Um, you made a compelling point about if we do hit our hand that we have we're much more likely to get paid off because of the action here, right? Yeah. So that I, I don't disagree with. But, again, we're talking about a two-outer here. And now we're putting 50 more into this pot. That takes us well beyond the 10% threshold for set mining. And that's still what we're doing is set mining, right? Mm. So this hand just got more, way more expensive than I think it needs to be for my hand. Uh, we got another player, I think, to act behind us, I think. So who knows if that guy's going to come alive with something else. And then if there's another raise, we can't call another raise now. So... Um, I don't think we can call this race, but if it gets more than that, then we have to fold, I think, because um, we don't want to get all in pre-flop with eights against what I'm sure is at least one better hand than us right now. Um, I, you know, and again, we don't know, we don't have a lot of information on this guy either, so we don't know. I mean, it, it's a pretty powerful race in the big blind uh, when you be with with a somebody who's already raising the hand from a weaker position, so. Um, I, I, I just, I, I don't see the upside here. I mean, if I'm a gambler, yeah, I'll go for the, the two outer knowing that I'll probably get paid off, but I would rather spend $50 on Powerball tickets. <laughs> Implied odds, my friend. Implied yeah, odds. If you knew you were going to win $800 pot for 50 more bucks. Not certainly that deep though for, for it to make it make sense. We have 370, so <laughs> that's the most we can get out of one player. It's unlikely that we're going to get two players to go all in at that point so you know 370 plus what's in the pot right now four or five hundred i mean it's uh, I don't know. 10 to 1 on your money if you put 50 in you win 500 that's easily enough to call the odds for a flopping a set it's eight to one against flopping a set i mm-hmm. i think it's the right call all right let's we'll see what happens <clears throat> just implied odds though if you're going by implied odds if you don't understand that concept or don't appreciate that concept then you fold and you move on but at this point you were gonna you might you were the person that we're talking about here was considering re-raising to isolate so you're considering putting that money in the middle anyway. Now, I know, realize what that means. It means that now you're giving the impression you have a bigger hand than you do, and you represent whatever it is, and then you take down a smallish pot, and you don't have to flop a set. I understand that. But I'm just saying the idea in your mind was that you were willing to maybe re-raise. Now you've got a chance to make a ton of money for that same re-raise instead of making little money. I take the chance. And if I don't flop the set, then I'm out for 50, and I'm still up 110 bucks. So I'll take the chance, or 100 bucks. So let's, let's see what happens. I'll see what happens. All right. All right. Uh, he says, I can't see the guy behind me raising since he more than likely would have raised earlier instead of calling, but might still play call this play slash call this hand. The eights seem weak here, but can be really good with three low cards in the flop or if we make a set. I'll pause here and say I'm not excited about three low cards. Yeah, me neither. I'll be up against the higher pocket pair than we are. Yeah. Generally. Um, I, they, I guess there's kind of a loose straight kind of thing that could make our hand interesting, but I, I'm not looking for three low cards here. Um, he said, if it actually had been my hand, I probably would have folded since there's a lack of info and a solid raise from the big blind with a call from MP1. I can't see me being ahead here. We need to hit uh, the set on the flop. All right, so Matt and I are on agreement. 
Right. Chris and this uh, mystery guy are on the crazy train. Let's see what happens. <laughs> uh, but after 60 seconds of thought, I call the guy behind me, Folds. All right. Uh, just to give you an update on chip stacks, the big line has 207 left. MP1 has squiggly 450. We have 305. There's 211 in the pot. Oh, so we actually have uh, the big blind covered, so that kills some of our odds. I mean, our implied odds there. No, because the other guy has 450, so you got you can get 500 odds just two of them well, plus the other we'll one. Get, get that guy committed. I, the big blind seems <laughs> to have a strong hand, but anyhow, we'll find out what happens. It's possible. All right, the flop comes queen, six, five, with two spades and a diamond. The big blind shoves, and the middle position player calls. I'm out of there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> I would invite you to the steakhouse, but you are down fifty dollars. Yeah, I know. I know, but I'm yeah. still up a hundred for the night, so I can still get the tip. <laughs> like Mark Cuban always says, I'm out. <laughs> uh, all right, so this kind of happened what what we thought. I mean, you're hoping to hit the eight, and he didn't hit the eight, and there's an overcard, and now there's a lot of action. So yeah, those eights are worthless at this point, I think. Yeah. So easy fold, but um, I. Don't know. I guess there might be something else going on here that we'll find out. Um, all right, so after thought, I call for 207 with just uh, over $600 in a pot when I call. It's very loose, very thoughtless, other than to say I thought I had a read. Again, assuming uh, we are the MP2 in this hand, definitely not the way I would have played if I had actually had the eights. Um, the uh, turn uh, is a jack of hearts, so our board is queen, six, five, jack. And uh, the, the, our lone opponent left, if not all in, checks. I, I don't know if I could give any advice now. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, you called that on a read, and there was two people in the hand. What were you reading? One bluff and one draw? That's crazy read in there. I, I can't give you advice here. I, I, I'm done with this hand. I, I, there's no chance the guy who called, one of these guys... Even if he's loose and crazy and going on some sort of weird draw, the other guy's got to have you beat. So you're just you're only going to make ninety eight bucks out of this person, or a hundred bucks out of this person, or whatever it is. I don't see it happening. I, I, I don't know what to tell you. I just don't know what to say here. I, yeah, I guess there's I, one more part that beats us. So the, the, nothing about this feels great now. So if he checked and gives us a free shot to hit our eight, I'm going to take it. Yeah, oh. I'm not putting any more money in this pot, and I'm checking. Every chance I get. Uh, all right, so that's what happens. As uh, so he says, uh, no need to raise with nothing to gain uh, with the other guy folding. Uh, the river is the seven of clubs. So the final board is queen, six, five, jack, seven. And our opponent checks, and I assume we're going to check the same, yes, right? Yes, yes. Everyone turns him over. Middle position, one player showing a queen. Uh, before turning his other card, the big blind shows eight, nine, suited. <laughs> oh man! And uh, as Matt said, as I said at the start, this is not my actual hand. I was completely baffled, and I actually got frustrated the next night when the big blind from this hand played nine ten suited against my pocket aces. Uh, but that's another story. <laughs> it wasn't like I played it perfectly either. I let him in, and my uh, aces uh, blind me a little. Um, All right, so here's the deal: the shock of the eight nine is that it got there. If this guy decided, you know what, I'm I'm going to try to outplay these guys. And, you know, because he's the one, he's the big blind, right? So he's the guy who makes it a bigger race to say, I don't believe these guys. And then whatever flop comes, I'm going to shove and take it down. He's just some sort of reckless player, it seems. So to me, it's not that shocking when he turns over the 8-9 because he was clearly just making moves. 
and not playing right. the cards. He's playing the people. You have to always. We always seem to react, especially when they send the hands of the weekend. They all seem to react to the cards as if this is impossible. Oh, what idiots doing this. But a lot of times these people are doing what they're supposed to be doing, which, of course, in this situation, you did it out of position, which is kind of scary. But you're supposed to be playing the people and not the cards. So he thought maybe, I don't believe these guys. I'm going to re-raise them. I'm going to take down 30 40 bucks right now. And if they don't believe me and they call, then I'm just going to shove on the flop because I don't only have, you know, I have a huge stack or whatever the reasoning is. I don't know what he had. I can't remember what his stack, but it doesn't matter. He was a short stack. And all yeah, that. so there you go. So, I mean, he, he's thinking, re-raise here. If it doesn't work, if it does, I double my stack or whatever it is. If it doesn't, then I shove, and then they, they fold, and I take it down. If not, I still have this draw because I have eight, and I have a gutter. So, to me, yeah, it's weird. It makes you laugh. Like, it made me laugh because he got <laughs> there. Um, and the other guy with the queen, if he's turning over ace-queen because you don't get to see the other card, nothing right. wrong with the way he played it. He called a, re- a raise with pre-flop with ace-queen, maybe suited. Maybe king queen suited, which is kind of bad. But ace queen he might have had. Turns over the queen, his top pair. He's going the rest of the direction, the the, the the distance with this. So I don't really fault these hands per se as far as the way they played it. If they had a, an idea in their mind and they stuck with it, but you know us, I think we're the ones who play, we, we played it the worst. I think to be honest. Oh yeah, clearly the eights eights were the worst, and and by us as Guinness, we minus it's not Matt <laughs> played right. to get out of this, but um, I, I will. I hear what you're saying, and yes, players need to make moves from time to time and then cover their tracks when it doesn't work out. So that that I have respect for. What I don't have respect for, this is this is a bad spot to make a move, I think. You're in the big blind. You've got a player that raised. You've got a couple other callers. And yeah, so you raised it. You did a 4X raise there, right? Uh, a little bit more than that. Um, but it obviously didn't work. You got two callers from it and now you're stuck in the worst position with nine high and so now your options are to get lucky on the flop which didn't happen or to shove your whole stack and pray and fortunately he's got a better relationship with the guy upstairs than i do because he hit but um i I would rather make moves in a different spot Uh, this was just a tough way to get out of it if it doesn't work out for you did you mean the general manager it's like that it's like that whole thing, you know. Take take a clean shot because if you miss, you're gonna you're gonna die, right? So this wasn't a clean shot. Yeah. Well, the only thing is that there are a lot of books out there that tell you that you don't even look at your cards. You pretend like you have aces and you play them like you have aces, and that's just the way it goes. And then it's the, the fact that you don't know what your cards are sometimes you you know I mean a lot of people will tell you to do that that you play your cards like they're aces, and aces would have played this hand exactly that way. Aces would have re-raised pre-flop because they're out of position a decent amount because they wanted to make sure that they're going to be out of position the rest of his hand. They want to get at least one, only one person to call or no one. And when they got the callers, then he said, okay, if I'm playing it like aces, if I see this flop, I'm shoving. And that's the flop he saw, and he shoved, and then he just happened to get there with 8-9. I'm not saying that's what he did, but right. people would play it that way. And if you had a queen and you believe for a second this guy had aces, you would still would fold. If you had eights and you believe this guy had aces, you would have folded. So... You know, that's the other scenario. Yes, I think he picked the kind of odd way of doing it. But the really hard approach when your strategy to win the hand is to get people to convince, be convinced one hand. No, I know, but he said play it like you play aces. And there's a lot of hands where if it went to the end, if he didn't just shove there, which he had to, I think. But as far as if he was playing like aces, but if if it was a we're all deeper 
and he was like, hey, I'm playing it like aces. When you get to the end, you've got to convince, that person's going to be convinced you have aces because you played it like aces, and then if they're capable of understanding a story, then they fold. But in this case, he said, well, if I had aces, this is what I would do, so I'm going to do it. I'm just saying if he, that's his one process there that he could be following. I'm just saying that okay. aces there. Yeah, and, and you don't want to be predictable, so I get that. But, you know, if I make a move in the big blind, it's generally going to be because I have a good hand or it's a limp fest because a limp fest now you make that big raise and you have a, a much better chance of everybody folding and you still got a big chunk of change in there that you can put in your stack. The fact that we had a raise from middle position, which is not as strong as under the gun, I guess, but still you had a raise in two collars there. It, it's very difficult for me to imagine at that point that I'm going to take this pot down. And that's really what I want to do with nine eyes. Take the pot down. Now I don't want to have to, shove on the flop or hope for a miracle flop yeah, I would yeah. just take the pot down now and your chances of that happening are very very slim at least at that raise i mean i guess you could go crazy and bet 100 or something there and then if you get called it's going to be the same scenario you're still going to shove on the on the uh, flop but now you had a better chance of taking it down pre-flop that's probably the breakdown of the strategy here right so yeah, I, I, you know, what would have happened if we raised to 100 rather than 65 now we don't know the other guy's card but he has a queen, so unless he has pocket queens, I'm not so sure ace queen's going to call hundred dollar raise there. Could be wrong, but yeah, not pre, yeah, not pre flop. But again, I, I think the ace would call either, and we don't know what the other guy had, but he ended up folding all the action anyhow. So it depends on the story you're trying to tell. I mean, if you if you really want them to believe you have aces, you're not going to make it a hundred. If you have aces, you're going to make it 60, 65, because you want to isolate one guy, and you'd be happy to take it down now. If you're making it 100, not a lot of guys are going to do that with the best hand starting impossible. They're going to want to get some value for having those aces. So it just seems to me, I mean, you're going to get an instant fold, well, I yeah. think. But again, I'm, I'm, I'm not a big fan of trying to pretend that I have aces in this. Situation. No, I know. I'm just saying that's what this guy's probably doing. But yeah, if you're raised 100, you're giving up <laughs> now. You're just saying, hey, how good is your hand? Is your hand good enough to call 100 bucks? Yeah. Great. If not fold and now i just picked up you know 75 bucks or so well if you play it scott's way scott would have folded the eights and you would have saved a lot of money if you played it my way you would have saved some money so listen to any up to save money <laughs> <laughs> i'm chris casenza and i'm scott log we'll see you at the table anti up is a production of antiupmagazine.com Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network. Music Network.